Well, it's great to see all of you here today, and you braved the cold weather and the icy conditions, so it wasn't nearly as bad as what I think they predicted, but I'm glad you're here, and I appreciate those of you who adjusted your schedule. You know, we ended up canceling Saturday night service and our first one this morning just to make sure that uh, the roads were good, and not just the roads, we need to make sure our parking lot is good. That's something that we take into consideration as well when we have to review these things. I was thinking this morning, I'm like, So last week, I spent a long time really encouraging the church to not miss church, and we go off and cancel a couple services on you. I don't know. That's just the way my brain thinks, but I appreciate you guys being flexible, and if you were planning to come here last night, but you end up coming to this service instead, uh, praise God. We're so glad that you did that. Hey, as we get started, let me tell you, um, when I found out that I was going to be a dad, my wife and I had been married for about five years. And uh, it's funny how your perspective changes on some things once you find out you're going to be a parent. Now, like, so for me, here's how my perspective changed a little bit. Um, My perspective towards the cars we were driving changed when I found out that I was going to be a dad. You know, at the time, um, my wife and I were were driving old cars, and they were high-mileage vehicles, and we didn't think much about it because just the two of us, and and I didn't care. I've always kind of driven an old car um, most of my life to that point, so I was like, yeah, it's okay. But then when I found out that my wife was pregnant, I was like, oh no, she's not going to be driving an old car. And that car all of a sudden wasn't good enough. You know, the day before, I didn't care. But now she's got precious cargo with her everywhere she goes. And so I started to care a little bit bit more. And, and, and so we went out and we bought a, a gently used but much, 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 much newer car than we had ever had before. It was a Nissan Maxima. Now, this is 16 years ago. But it was a Nissan Maxima, and it was the nicest car that I have ever owned in my life. And I love driving that car. Now, compared to what we were driving to that, I mean, I felt like I had arrived. And that would make a lot of sense if you knew the kind of cars we were driving before I bought that one. I mean, this car, man, it was the first car that I ever had that when you hit the gas pedal, it was like, boom, that thing took off, you know? Uh, most of the cars that I've ever driven in my life or owned, it's like zero to 60 in a week or so. I mean, that's, that's kind of the car. I mean, there, I didn't drive hot rods. I didn't have any muscle in my car um, and, and still don't. I drive a minivan. And so, uh, but anyway, this car, it was awesome. You hit the gas and Boo, it took off. You're driving down the highway. You want to pass somebody. Boom, there's a lot of throttle left. I miss that car, to be honest with you. It glided down the highway nice and smooth, and it was quiet on the inside. All of our cars up to that point were really loud. They're so loud, you forget how loud you are until you're in a quiet car. And, and it was in the premium sounds. I mean, I like this car. So you can imagine how I felt after only owning it a very short while. I misjudged a turn. And I ended up smacking straight into a curb. More than smack into it, I hit it, went up over it, and came down. Have you ever done that? That is one of the loudest experiences of your life. That is much louder than you think it was going to be like, oh, no, I just wrecked the car. And so I hop out to inspect, just know, I felt like the whole front end was missing. That's what I felt. But you know what? To my surprise, I got out there, and I didn't see much damage, a few scratches, but nothing really. And I thought, whoo, praise God, it didn't do anything. Hop back in the car, and my steering wheel's like this. I'm like, oh, no. As I take off down the road, I'm like, oh, it's not, it's not driving straight anymore. It's, it's pulling like this. And, and I had to drive like this just to keep it going down the road. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 not the new car. Not the new car. And 
This nice, smooth, quiet ride wasn't like that anymore. And long story short, I had completely knocked the front end out of alignment in, in the car. It was no longer steering correctly. And it just, you know, when, when that happened, it just seemed like the whole car was off at that point. Um, I was angry with myself for even hitting the curb and not paying closer attention. And I, you know, I had to pay the price because I had to take it into the shop and, and get it fixed. Do you know how embarrassing it is to, to take your car into the shop? And when the mechanic goes, what seems to be the problem? Uh, well, you see this dog jumped out. No, it wasn't that. I hit a curb and it messed it all up. But I'll tell you, that whole debacle, it taught me some lessons, you know, some hard lessons in life. But you know what? It really kind of taught me a spiritual lesson too about my faith. You know, just like the wheels on your car can get knocked out of alignment and mess up your whole ride, so can your walk with God get knocked out of alignment and mess up your whole walk with him. Last week, we started a brand new series called Aligned. And in that message, we wrestled with this question. What does it mean to be aligned with God? You remember, that's kind of, we, we, we wrestled with that. What does that mean to be aligned with God? And we put this definition to the word aligned. To be aligned means that everything is in its correct order or that uh, things are put in their appropriate relative position. So basically, if things are in order and everything is in its place, then it is aligned properly. So what does it mean to be aligned with God? Well, we explored that to be aligned with God, it has something to do then with his position in your life. That's what it means to be aligned with God. Where does God stack up with everything else that you've got going on in your world? So it has something to do with his position in your life. You know what else it has something to do with? If you're going to be aligned with God, it has something to do with the way that you see God and the way that you understand his will and his priorities and where his will and his priorities intersect with your will and your priorities. So to be aligned with God has everything to do with that. So it means God's in the correct position. That means he is number one. And it means that the things that are of utmost importance to God are also of utmost importance to you. And if that's the case in your life, then I would say that you're probably aligned with God. And that is a really good place to be. So in your life, if God is in the right place, everything else will be too until he's not. Now let me say that again. In your life, if God is in the right place, everything else will be too until he's not. I kind of describe it like this. Sometimes your walk with God can, can kind of feel like that incredible ride in your car. I'm like, one day, you're just gliding down the road with God and everything is awesome. Your walk with Jesus, I mean, it is incredible. It's a sweet ride and nothing could be wrong and nothing could be better. In that car ride with God, you've got the Christian music crank. You've got the windows down. The wind is blowing through your, your, your beard. And I mean, it's just... <laughs> I mean, it's just awesome, all right? And then all of a sudden, boom, you hit something. This incredible ride with God gets 
gets interrupted somehow. You, you hit something and all of a sudden you hit it and now it's all out of whack. This ride with God seems a little bit off. It's a little bit bumpier than it used to be. It just doesn't feel like you're in sync with God any longer. And then it's like all of a sudden it's like, I'm, uh, like the world is pulling me this way, but God's pulling me this way. And it's not so easy to stay straight down the road as it used to be. What in the world happened? You hit a, what I'll call, a spiritual curb. You hit a spiritual curb, and it knocked you out of alignment with God. You know, I think about our church family, and I think about the people in our world. Every single person is an individual, obviously, and we have to work out our faith with our Heavenly Father, because on Judgment Day, that's all that's going to matter. Your walk with Him, your alignment with Him. Every person's unique, and everybody has a different story, and their journey is, is uniquely to them. But I can tell you that, that many Christians, they, they smack into these spiritual curbs, and it knocks you out of alignment with God. And I try to think through, what are these spiritual curbs? I mean, what are these things that knock you out of alignment with God? And as I thought through this and prayed through this, I came up with five things, really, five spiritual curbs. That, 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 that just wants to be in your path that you run into and knock you all out of alignment with God. And, and so we're going to call these. I'm going to give you five spiritual curbs that I think all of us will be kind of nodding our heads and say, yep, I get it. I get it. I've, I've run into that one before. The first one is this. What's the first spiritual curb? It's some kind of unholy act. What knocks you? What do you smack right into? I'm going to say it's some kind of unholy act. That would be what I would call some kind of blatant sin. That would be maybe a moral failing. Perhaps there are some inconsistencies in your life, like maybe, maybe uh, uh, going out with the boys on the weekends, and, and, and those trips are, are, are full of, of too much alcohol use and some drunkenness, and, and all of a sudden there's some addictions there. Maybe there's some integrity issues, some character problems. Whatever it is, there's some kind of unholy act that has come into your life, and it's like a spiritual curb with your ride with God, and boom, and all of a sudden you're out of alignment with, with God. I would say this, that if you are right now behaving in a sexually immoral way, then you're going to be out of alignment with God. Because if you're acting in a sexually immoral way, then, then God's priorities are not your priorities, I can tell you that. You're out of alignment. Some kind of unholy behavior, some kind of unholy act has gotten in the way and you've run smack into it and, and, and nothing seems right right now. Because I don't feel close to God. Well, let's talk about what's going on in your life. What, has run, what have you run into? What have you run over? What is a part of your life that wasn't there before? You know, Peter addresses this in, in 1 Peter chapter 1. He's talking to, to the church and he says, he gives them this counsel. He says, hey, with minds that are alert and fully sober, I mean, completely dialed in, not distracted, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed in his coming. In other words, the life we live here and the things we do and the things we're involved with, our, our mindset, what we're really focused on is heaven. That's what he says. And then he says, as obedient children... Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. In other words, okay, you're walking with God. Let's not go back to a behavior of when you weren't walking with God. Let's not go backwards. Going backwards knocks you out of alignment. That's, but, but verse 15, but just as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. 
When I think about these curbs that we hit in our walk with God, I'll tell you, some of the big ones are, are some of these unholy acts that, 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 that come into our lives. And if we don't fix it, if we don't resolve it, if it's left unresolved, th- then it's gonna wreak havoc on your walk with Jesus. So that's the first curb. What's another curb? What, what are these curbs that we just smacked right into? Well, I would say this. This is a big one. Some kind of ungodly pursuit has come into your path. Something, uh, some kind of ungodly pursuit. Now, the Bible talks a lot about ungodly pursuits, and, and a lot of times they, the Bible speaks about how the pursuit of money is, can be an ungodly pursuit or the things that money can buy or wealth or worldly possessions, and I think we'd all nod our head, but you know, ungodly pursuits can also be inappropriate relationships. Ungodly pursuits can be you know, pursuing something, a, a job perhaps or something else, that's, or a hobby that's going to pull you back from God. There's something that has come into your life that you, now you are pursuing as of greater priority than, than your walk with Jesus. You know, my, uh, my wife and I know a family um, at one point we're quite close to, nobody here in Northwest Arkansas, but long before this, um, who sadly, I would say, they're the first that come to my mind when I think of ungodly pursuit. The, the husband of the family was chairman of the elders. His wife was the Sunday school teacher. They were the model of the Christian family. And then one day, um, the, the husband got an opportunity of a lifetime. And he got this huge job promotion at work. And all of a sudden, he is now in an echelon of employment that few people could ever dream about being and an income to match it. And all of a sudden, the world opened up with what they could buy. And so, the, the, and there's not a thing wrong with that, by the way. Not a thing in the world wrong with that. And then all of a sudden, there were some things that became very important to them that wasn't important just a few months before. It was like, well, how do we build on this wealth? How do, what do we do? And they ended up buying homes. And, and they ended up buying 15 homes. Ended up renting them all out. A steady stream of income. They became very wealthy over the next few years. But here's what happened. There, and there's not a thing wrong with that either. But here's what happened in their world. They began to pursue the building of their personal wealth more than they were pursuing God. And so what was the first to give? Well, our church attendance was one of the first things to give because what did they do? They started spending their weekends refurbishing homes, getting them ready to rent. What else? All these other endeavors, things they could buy and toys and they started running off chase. And you know what? A couple years later, completely out of church. In fact, just a few years after this, this change of pursuit, this ungodly pursuit to become richer and, and all these things, um, the wife became a professing atheist, antagonistic towards Christians. Her husband, I'm not sure exactly where he ended up being, but close to God was not one of them. He died suddenly, unexpectedly, just a few years ago. And I honestly don't know where he was with Jesus, but I know where his wife is today, and she hates Christians. What happened? Chairman of the elders, Sunday school teacher. What happened As best I can tell you. They got on some kind of ungodly pursuit and it took them far away from the Lord. It so misaligned them from the Lord they couldn't see straight spiritually and still can't. Sometimes these ungodly pursuits present themselves and we can smack right into them and we can go into it even with the best intentions in mind. And they take us far away from God. Well, what's another curb that we run into? What can knock us out of alignment? Well, here's one. 
an unexpected trauma. And maybe I would clarify and say this, our response to that unexpected trauma, because we all experience unexpected things. It's just the nature of the, of the world we live in. Things are going to come up out of nowhere, and our response to that is very telling about our alignment with God. Perhaps that is a sudden loss or an illness that just came out of nowhere and having to navigate that or some kind of significant hurt that came into your life. I mean, in most cases, for Christians, the response to that unexpected trauma is very telling. These kind of unexpected things, they either draw you closer to your heavenly father and even more alignment than you've ever been before, or they become an excuse to, to pull away from God. And typically, it's one or the other. I love the words of Paul, um, to his encouragement to the church about this very thing. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, he says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So here you have these, some kind of unholy act can knock you out of alignment with God. Some kind of ungodly pursuit and even a pursuit knowing what Jesus said. What did Jesus say? He said that, uh, that uh, far be it from any of us to gain the whole world, yet forfeit our soul. So some kind of ungodly pursuit, some kind of unexpected trauma can knock us out of alignment with God. What else? What's another one of these spiritual curbs that wants to knock us out of alignment with God? Well, here's one. Uh, some kind of an unreconciled relationship. Well, I tell you, you live on this planet long enough you're going to come into conflict with somebody. So where does that stand? I can tell you what unreconciled relationships potentially can do and how it can wreak havoc on your walk with God. What it can do is it can lead to a very unforgiving heart and attitude in your life. You let that go on for long enough, it starts to turn into bitterness. That's what the Bible talks about. Bitterness has a way of turning into hatred and rage. And, and there's this thing, all of these things I'm describing, they want to knock you out of alignment with God. Paul said this in Colossians 3, his encouragement about this very thing. He said, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has any grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. There's something that internally that we need to do. And it's, we need to be as forgiving towards others as the Lord was Towards us. Now, here's something else I've learned about forgiveness. Forgiveness and relationships are not the same thing. Sometimes you're like, well, if I forgive somebody, that means that from now on we're going to skip through, through fields full of flowers and sing songs and together. No, no, that hasn't been my experience. Really, when it comes to forgiveness, forgiveness is more about obedience to your Heavenly Father. And even if that person you forgive never reciprocates, never says, I'm sorry, makes fun of you, even when you bring up and say, I've forgiven you, you're still in a better position. Because that has to do with your walk with Jesus. That is your commitment to not get out of alignment with God. The, the Lord says, hey, I want you to forgive others as the Lord has forgiven you. Well, last time I checked, the Lord's forgiven me of a whole lot, a lot more than what anybody else has ever done to me. So if I'm gonna be obedient, I'm gonna walk in alignment with you, I am not gonna allow an unresolved or unreconciled relationship, at least on my side of things, 
to stand. Because if I do, it's going to wreak havoc with my walk with Jesus. It's really about you. There's one other thing that I, one other curb that tends to jump out and, and we smack right into, and maybe you've experienced this one. I'm just going to call it an unfulfilled promise. You know, what do I mean by that? What's an unfulfilled promise? Have you ever made a promise to God, but then you didn't live up to it? Have you ever made a commitment to God? God, if you get me out of this mess, I will do this for you. But you don't do that for him. Or have you ever said, God, I am going to give my life to full-time ministry and I'm going to pursue ministry, and then you don't. Or something else, you pursued something. Do you ever just make a promise to God and then deep down in your heart you know you never fulfilled it? You can bury that deep. But that creates an alignment problem. It can if, if you don't resolve that, if there's not repentance and forgiveness or somehow you work that out with God and that stays unresolved, then, then it can mess with you. And I talk to people, I feel like on a regular basis, who, who say things to me like, well, I, I, you know, I, I committed to do this one time, but I just didn't. And it messes with their alignment with God. You gotta resolve. That's a spiritual curb that I think some of you know what I'm talking about. It's interesting. If you go back to the Old Testament and read some of the words of Song of Sol- or, or Solomon, you're going to come across Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 4. And he actually gives some counsel on these kind of promises to God that you don't live up to. He says this in, in chapter 5, verse 4. He says, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fool, fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple messenger, hey, my vow was a mistake. Hey, why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless, therefore fear God. In other words, what, what Solomon is saying is, look, you're better off to not make any commitment to God and, and, and leave it unfulfilled than, than, than else. Is it better to just fear God? Walk daily with him, fear him, have this holy respect, love him, honor him, than to promise him something and you not do it. And some of you may be wondering, why, why does it feel so weird between, is it because there's an unfulfilled promise on your end and it's caused you to be out of alignment with God? You know, I, I, I've said this before just a minute ago, but every person is different. There's not one story in this room that's just like another story. But if your conversations about holy things and about the church and about Christianity and about your walk with Jesus, if those conversations and the words that come out of your mouth are starting to sound like this, like, like uh, hey, you know, I used to be a lot more on fire for God. Or if your conversation sounds like, you know, hey, there was a time in my life that I would never miss church. Or, hey, back in the day, I would have jumped at that opportunity. Or, you know, I used to serve in the church a lot more than I do now. I used to serve all the time. Or, or you know, God's, God feels a little distant to me right now. I don't, just feels kind of we're far apart. Or, or, I don't pray very much. I don't read my Bible ever. I, I used to read my Bible all the time. All right, I used to be very devout. I mean, if your walk with the Lord right now it has fizzled, or it's lost steam, could it be, or is it possible that maybe one of these five spiritual curves that we've just listed off has been an unwelcome part of your life and has caused you somehow to become misaligned with God? And I would say only you know the answer to that. Only you know if you've been involved or are involved in an unholy act or you're right now in part of some ungodly pursuit or, or you've got some kind of un, 
unhealthy response to trauma or there's some kind of unresolved relationship in your world or some kind of unfulfilled promise that you never lived up to your end of the deal with God, only you know that. But I wonder if some, or if not all of us today, just need to do some deep soul searching before we go home. Perhaps we need to pray something that sounds like this. Lord, if there is anything in my life that has knocked me out of alignment with you, would you bring that into my attention? Would you make that very focused and clear in me so I can work towards resolving it? Lord, what is not right between us? Show me. My guess would be if you're praying that prayer, you already know. And if so, then really there's only one response to something like that that's gonna move you back towards being in alignment with God. And, and it's, it's, it's this word, repentance. It's where you're on your knees before God in all humility and vulnerability and you say, God, I am sorry. I'm sorry for being involved with something that's unholy. I'm sorry for an ungodly pursuit. I'm sorry for bitterness and anger in my heart towards somebody else. I'm sorry for, you name it. Sometimes I wonder if Christians today have forgotten what it is to be vulnerable and, and to repent before God and, to, and just be humble and say, God, I'm so sorry, I screwed this up. Thank you, God, for not giving up on me. When was the last time you prayed that? Well, our aim, obviously, is to be in alignment with God all of our days. And so I have a question for us. How... Does one do that? How does one walk with God faithfully in complete alignment with God every day of our lives? Is it possible to live this Christian life without ever getting knocked off track or out of alignment? Have you heard of a man in the Bible by the name of Enoch before? Enoch, I, I love Enoch's story. It's found in the opening pages of the book of Genesis. And if you'd like to turn over there, you're welcome to. All the scripture I'm gonna show you is gonna be behind me. But we find Enoch's story in chapter five of the book of Genesis. This is before the flood. This is before Noah and the ark. This is back when people used to live hundreds and hundreds of years. This is back in those earliest moments of creation. That's where you find Enoch's story. And this is what it says about Enoch. Genesis chapter five, verse 21. It said, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. He became a dad at 65. That's pretty incredible. Now, I mean, obviously people lived longer back then, but, but uh, 65 years old, he became a dad. And then it says this, after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. 365 years old. Can you imagine living that long? Anybody here want to live 365 years? I don't. You know, if Enoch was alive today, and let's say he died to this year, that means... If you trace that back, that means he would have been born in the year of 1655. That's how old he was. Now, who can tell me what famous thing happened in 1655? I'm really curious. I have no idea. What, what famous thing happened? In, I have no idea. I don't have a clue. I asked that last service, and I had people texting me. They looked it up online. Well, this happened, and this happened. I really don't want to know. You know, I'm just, 
Just making us silly. But it's 365 years. Honestly, that doesn't matter. His age doesn't matter. You know what matters in this story? It's verse 24. It says, Enoch walked faithfully with God. That's what matters. Enoch walked faithfully with God, and then and he was no more because God took him away. Now, if you got your Bible and you want to turn to the New Testament, you can go to Hebrews chapter 11 because that's the other time in the Bible that it mentions Enoch's story. And Hebrews chapter 11 is a fascinating chapter of the Bible. We call it the Hall of Fame of Faith because what Hebrews 11 does, it just lists off all the people in the Bible that exhibited incredible faith in their, in their life. Enoch is listed there. He's listed in chapter 11, verse 5. And it says this, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so they did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, we don't get a total detailed account of everything he did. The Bible's not that specific about Enoch's life. He's mentioned one other time in the book of Jude, but that's just briefly. But from what we understand from these two passages of Scripture, Enoch was a pretty amazing guy. And I wonder, why is his life recorded? Why is it important for us to know that Enoch walked with God faithfully? He was 365 years old when God took him away. Why is that? Well, it's important for us to know because it's a good example of someone who seemed to be aligned with God all of his days. And you know what that tells me? It's possible. If Enoch can do it for 300 years, maybe I can do it for a few less. It is possible. And not only that, Enoch walked with God daily in a time in history when the world was getting darker and darker and more evil as it goes on. If you keep reading on into the next chapter, God had been, got so put out with people and how wicked they had become. And, and the Bible says that every inclination of every person on the planet was evil all the time. Can you imagine? We have never experienced a day as dark as that. When every single person alive, every single inclination of their heart was evil all the time. We have not yet reverted back to the days of Noah. So Enoch is walking with God in a world that is pulling back from God faster than you can ever imagine. It kind of sounds like today. It's possible to walk with God. Enoch did it, and if he did it, we can do it. But whatever he was doing, it was pleasing to God. He didn't waver from it, and he walked with him every day. What does that mean to walk with God? Because you're gonna find that phrase all over the pages of the Bible. Not just with Enoch, but with a lot of the famous people in the Bible, it says they walked with God. In my mind, this phrase, walked with God, is just another way of saying in alignment with God. Adam walked with God. Moses walked with God. Abraham walked with God. David walked with God. All these people walked. What does that mean? It's just another way of saying they were aligned with God. So take this phrase, walk with God. When you come across it in Scripture, like we do here with Enoch, and as we think about it in our own lives, it's really a metaphorical phrase, if you will, that is characterized by somebody's devotion to God. So if you say that person walks with God, what you're really saying is they are expressing a lot of devotion in their life towards God. That's what walking with him means. Walking with him suggests that your life is consistent with God's will and that you are experiencing this wonderful fellowship with him because when your life is aligned with God, you experience incredible fellowship. Everything's coming together. 
So that is the goal, right, of every Christian, to walk with God, to be aligned with God. And if somebody, if you want to be somebody who walks with God, what does that mean? Well, there's three things real quick. That if you want to walk with God, here's the first one. It means that you've got to trust God. I want to be in alignment with him. I want to walk with him, be devoted with him. What does that mean? It means I'm going to trust God in everything. I read recently about a guy by the name of Jack who went out jogging in some backcountry roads near his house and he went up high on his hill and he got too close to the edge and the edge gave way and he slipped and he fell down the hill but he was able to grab onto some, some roots and, and, and tree branches and he was hanging there precariously on the edge of the cliff. He could not climb back up but he was way too high to just let go. And he's screaming for, help me, help me and he couldn't hear anything. And after a few minutes of really panicking, screaming, he's thinking he's going to fall. And then there's this voice from the top, and, and it says, hey, I can hear you, Jack. He goes, you know my name? Yeah, I know who you are. Well, all right, well, I need some help, Jack said. Jack, he said, who are you? And the voice from up top said, well, I'm the Lord. And Jack said, you mean like God? He said, yeah, that's me. Well, get me out of here, God. I need some help. He goes, well, I'll, I'll get you down. Don't worry about it. He goes, oh, he started paying. Lord, you got to get me down. And if you get me down, I promise you, I'll do anything. I'll do anything you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. Well, guys, well, hold on on the promises there, Jack. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Well, get me down. And God said, I'll get you down, but here's what I need you to do. I need you to just let go of the branch, and I'll get you. And Jack's like, you want me to let go of the branch? And God said, yeah, just, just let go. It's going to be okay. Trust me. I'll catch you. And Jack hung there for another 30 seconds or so contemplating to let go. And after a pause, he said, is there anybody else up there? <laughs> I tell you, trusting God can be such a challenge because to trust God means to behave in a way that is completely contrary to all of your friends. It means to live in a way that's completely contrary to, to everybody you know, really. The people you work with, for the most part. What you see on TV and in the movies, it's to trust God is to be completely different. I have a friend up in Kansas City who I had the privilege of leading to the Lord and baptizing him and Right after he got baptized, he stopped by the church office and he said, man, I just got offered the job of a lifetime today. He said, just my dream job. And I said, well, that's fantastic. Congratulations. And he said, I don't think I can take it. I need some help. I said, what, what do you mean you can't take your dream job? And he said, well, this new job, it's gonna require me to work on Sundays and I just don't think I can miss church right now. Out of the mouth of babes in Christ, truth is revealed. And I found myself kind of surprised because that, that trust, and he said, I, I just feel like I'm at this point, I'm just brand new in my walk with Jesus and I'm trusting him on everything and I just believe that this is not what he wants me to do because this will pull me away from what I think he wants me to do. So I think I'm just gonna stick with what I've got and just trust God that he'll open up another dream opportunity taught me a great lesson about trust that day. So to walk with God is just to trust him. That's really what, about being aligned with him. It's just all about trust. 
You know, secondly, I think to walk with God is to adjust to God, to adjust. You know, Genesis 5.22, going back to the life story of Enoch, um, many Bible scholars look at that and say, what, what caused Enoch to walk with God? And there's this point that many scholars would point to and they say, it's when he became a dad. Because the Bible says when Enoch was 65 years of age, he became the father of Methuselah, and then he walked with God 300 years. And they've under, argued, was that a turning point in his life? A lot of dads, when they become a dad, and they look at that baby for the first time, it's a wake-up call. You better get your act together. Or maybe I'm just talking about me. Maybe Enoch had one of those moments. But if it was or if it wasn't, there was a point in his life, he said, from this point forward, I will walk with God faithfully. And it's like he's saying, in this world that's pulling away from God, I'm gonna pull close to God. I am going to actually adjust my life to be all about what, what God. And, I, and, and I, I think there's these moments, and maybe for Enoch it was this way, that he could look back and say, the day my son was born is the day that I decided to get serious with God. He can look back to an exact moment in time. He can pinpoint it. This is the moment of my life that things got right with God and I started to adjust to him. And I wonder, I call that your light bulb moment. And I'm wondering, have you had a light bulb moment? Can you look back? Can you revisit in history the exact moment where it all became real and it all became right? And it's like, this is the moment that I adjust to God, not the other way around. This is where it gets real. For, for me, I was 11 years old. I remember very clearly, I was sitting in my room in the upstairs of our house. We were living in Portland, Oregon. And, and, and I don't know why, but something just came over me in that moment. I'd been thinking about it, but it's almost like the Holy Spirit just came over me and said, now's your time, and I want you to follow me. And I just felt the presence of God, even as an 11-year-old kid. And I'm like, yes, Lord, I'm gonna follow you. I, I want you in my life. And I remember going and telling my dad, Lord, I got dad, God wants me to follow him, and I'm choosing, to, I'm gonna follow him. Of course, it was, my dad was thrilled, and he baptized me, and that was my light bulb moment. And I've had a lot of light bulb moments, to be honest with you. And what about you? Can you look back and pinpoint the moment where you said, I'm going to adjust to God. That, I'm going to walk with him and adjust to him. The disciples had a light bulb moment. You know, a lot of the disciples of Jesus, they were fishermen. And before Jesus called them to be his disciples, they were out fishing one day. They didn't catch anything. It's in Luke chapter five. You can read about it sometime. And so they're cleaning up their nets. They're about to go home for the day. And Jesus says, hey, here's, I want you to go back out in the water and drop your nets out in the deep water. And like, ah, oh, I've been at this all night. It's not gonna work. And Peter said, but you know, Jesus, because you're telling us to do it, I'll do it. You know, if you know the story, they went out in the water, they dropped their nets down, they caught such a huge catch of fish, it was sinking their boats. And this is the famous moment when, when, when Jesus looks out to Peter and says, from now on, you will be a fisher of men. It's a light bulb moment. Everything changes from this point. And the disciples, they pulled their boats up on the shore, and there's this interesting, often overlooked verse, verse 11 of chapter 5. It says they left everything on the shore, and they followed Jesus. That was the moment that they could always look back on and say, it was at the Sea of Galilee with our boats full of fish. We didn't know how it happened. That was our light bulb moment. And that was the day we decided to walk with God and we were gonna adjust to him forever. So to be aligned with God is to walk with God and to adjust to him. But I'll tell you, these spiritual curbs can get in the way. Sin can get in the way. Sin will make you want to adjust away from God. You know, the word sin consists of three letters. The, the middle letter is I. And I can tell you, when you 
pull away from God and adjust away from God, it's always an I problem. It's not a God problem. It's an I problem. I'm concerned for the church. I'm concerned for many people who call themselves Christians today. People who want all the benefit of salvation in heaven without the surrender of self here on earth. I pray to God we don't drift that far. But it'd be a wake-up call, a light bulb moment for the church to adjust to God, not just away. Finally, I know we're a little late on time. One more real quick. What does it mean to walk with God? To walk with God is to be secure with God. You know, in my study of Enoch's life, it's evident that Enoch was very secure in God. Enoch, you may not know this, but Enoch is only one of two people in the Old Testament who never died. Did you know that? Enoch never died. Do you know who the other one was? Elijah. Elijah never died. He was taken up into heaven in what looked like chariots of fire. And I, I don't know if the music was playing. Dun, 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 dun. I, I don't know. Maybe. But Enoch and Elijah, they never experienced death. So at age 365, why that, why that age? Why? I, I don't know. But God decided that it was time for Enoch to come home. And in the book of Genesis, it just says that God took him away. Enoch was taken to heaven before he died. And you know what? That's security. There's so much about his story that we don't know, we don't understand. Um, but I do know that God took him to heaven without him ever dying. And the point that we should not miss is that when you walk with God, you are secure with God. And whether God calls you home today, tomorrow, or at age 365, or if we are fortunate enough to never experience death because the Lord returns, to walk with God, to be aligned with God, is to be secure with God. So whenever he calls you home, you are ready to be with God forever. At some point, God wants to carry you to heaven. And if you know Jesus, and you're aligned with your heavenly Father, boy, that's gonna be a great ride, don't you think? <laughs>